Good morning. We are continuing in Daniel, uh, but this morning our scripture reading is going to be from Exodus chapter 20, verses 4 through 6. You shall not make for yourself an idol or any likeness of what is in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the water under the earth. You shall not worship them or serve them, for I, Yahweh your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children, on the third and the fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing loving kindness to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments. Word of the Lord. We're going to be in Daniel 3, so if you want to go there and get ahead of us, you can. In the book of Daniel, it's a very unique book of the Bible. Uh, most of the Hebrew scriptures is, is written in Hebrew. It's, it's, it's the Jewish Old Testament, the Jewish Torah. The Greek New Testament is in Greek. But this one book, Daniel, is in neither Hebrew nor Greek. It's in Aramaic. Because they're not in Israel. This book's written in exile. Daniel is a He's a slave in Babylon. He is a servant of the king. Daniel has gained favor in this foreign land called Babylon, and Daniel and his three buddies, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, have been given good jobs. Their life in Israel is good, but they still serve under the authority of another. The king has built this massive 90-foot golden statue in this big field, the plains of Dura. And he's told everyone, when, my band, when, the, when the band plays, everyone must fall on the ground and worship and give praise to this great idol I have set up. He says, if you don't, I will throw you into a burning, fiery furnace. So these three Hebrew boys have a decision to make. The band starts playing. Everybody falls down. What do they do? Do they bow down and join the crowds in worshiping this false god? They know it goes against the Ten Commandments. Pastor John read command number two. Do not worship any idol or bow down to it. God is a jealous God. He says, give your worship to no one else. Do they join the crowd or do they choose to stand? And standing is a very dangerous thing business. Because again, everyone, when the band, the band plays, everyone bows, and these three Hebrew kids are standing up, and everyone else is on the ground. You must stick out like a sore thumb. When I was a young, young boy, second grade, I was a not very cool kid. I was very awkward. I was really not, I, I, I just, I, socially unaware I was a nerd, I was a geek, I was whatever you want to, I just had no friends. I had one friend in those days, and me and this kid were both huge nerds, and like, no one liked us. But we were, we were, we were, we were friends with one another, it was great. Well, I move away, because in my life, the way my life worked is, um, we'd live in Flint, my mom would marry someone, we'd move to that guy's life, whenever we had divorce, we'd come back to Flint. So we ended up in the UP Michigan for a few years, and I come back, it's fifth grade, and I'm a little taller, 
a little handsomer, a little cooler. So I want to go to school and be okay. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to be a nerd this time. I'm going to be a cool kid this time. So I go to school. As I go to school, when you go to, when you, when you, I moved a lot as a kid. Whenever you go to new school, you always kind of like survey the scene. Who are the cool kids? Who are the lame kids? Who do I need? Who are the bullies? You, gotta, you just got to watch the whole thing. So I come to school and start watching what's going on, and I very quickly realize at the bottom of the feeding chain is my old buddy from second grade. He's still there, and he's still socially awkward, and he's the least popular kid in that school. Everybody picks on him. It's a pastime for the school to pick on this kid. And I'm like, oh, no. He's going to remember me and want to be my friend. So what do I do? What do I do when this kid sees me and goes, Ernesto, it's me. Remember, we were best buds in second grade. Now I had two choices. I could go with the crowd and laugh at this kid, make fun of this kid. And if I made fun of him, I, the crowd might be like, oh, you're the coolest, join our cool club. I'd be, I could join the crowd, or I could say, yeah, I remember you. Good to see you, bro. High five, hug. We're boys still. The, the, the moment happened where he sees me, and he knows me. And he comes up, he goes, bro, remember me? Second grade, we were great friends. And like Peter before me, I said the words, I never knew you. I was afraid of the crowd. I, I, I wanted so bad to be cool. I pretended not to know him so I could stand with the crowd because I didn't want to stick out at all. Standing up is difficult. And we're going to see what it cost these three Hebrew boys. In the first service, I was telling the story, and my daughter was sitting over there, and she's like, Dad, you better not have done the bad thing. Like, like, like Lena, you know my story is always there with me being the bad guy. You know what's going to happen. The story is this, so Daniel 3, verse 8. For this reason, at that time, certain Chaldeans came near and brought charges against the Jews. They answered, said to Nebuchadnezzar, the king, they said, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn, flute, lyre, trigon, psaltery, bagpipe, and all kinds of music is to fall down and worship the golden image. But whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into the midst of a furnace of blazing fire. So these Chaldean astrologers, they're tattletales. Nobody likes a tattletale. As you say, you say back in the, in, the, in the day, snitches get stitches. But uh, we're, we're so stupid. Um, but they're tattletales. And they go to the king, like, king, and they're smart. Remember what you said, king? You said when the music plays, everyone bows. And if you don't bow, you said you're going to die. And he's like, I did say that. Just so you know, these astrologers, these Chaldean astrologers, they're not going to the king because they love the king or love the kingdom. To them, this, this, this is a political rivalry. 
They're mad that these three Jewish young men have been promoted past themselves. They're waiting for a chance to get them. Jealousy inspires them. So verse 12, they tell the king, there are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the administration of the province of Babylon. These guys are smooth customers. They're like, look at all you've done for these three boys. King, you've been good to them. You gave them good jobs. Remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? These men, O king, do not pay attention to you. They do not serve your gods and do not worship the golden image which you have set up. At the, now the, at the first part of their tattletale is all fact, but the second part, they put some stank on it. You know what I'm saying? They stinking spice it up. They're like, listen, these three Jewish boys, they have no regard for your words. They don't respect you. They think you're a punk. They don't listen. They, 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 add, they, they add some color to it to make the king get upset. And it works. <laughs> what happens in this first part is very simple. If you stand for the king, you may become a target. Stand for what's right, and you'll become a target. These three boys didn't bow, and immediately their enemies were like, now we got them. Let's put them down like dogs. There's an old Japanese proverb, and that proverb says, the nail that sticks out gets hammered down. Because in Japanese culture, being not noticed is very important. You don't want to be the greasy wheel. You don't want to be noticed. You want to be part of the crowd, part of the herd, part of the mob. Here they stand. When, when they stand up, they get noticed. This happens in the Bible to a guy named Peter, the apostle Peter. Peter is a Jewish man. He's one of the, he is the pastor of the Jerusalem church. He is the head of the apostles. Peter's the man, okay? And in Peter's world, the Jewish culture, there's a rule. It's a rule that always got Jesus into trouble. The Jews had this rule. The rule was this. You only could eat with people who were like really godly. So the Jews would only break bread at their tables with other Jews. And Christ always got in trouble because he ate with sinners. All the time he got in trouble for this, right? Well, the Jews said, you got to eat with only good Jews, and you never, ever, ever eat with non-Jews, with Gentiles. You never break bread with unclean people. Well, God gives Peter a vision. Peter has this vision where he sees this blanket coming down from heaven, and it's full of animals. And he hears a voice from heaven say, rise, kill, and eat. And Peter goes, whoa, 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 angel of the Lord. No unclean thing has ever entered my lips. So you see, the Jews have a dietary law. It's called being kosher. Have you heard of this? Kosher pickles? Kosher salt? The Jews have a diet. They can't, the Jewish people to this day, they can't eat pig, yo. That means no bacon, no pork chops, no ham. What else? No sausage. You're right. This magical animal you can't eat. Now, 
because the Jews can't eat anything with a, is it a cloven hoof? Yeah, cloven hoof. It's a weird thing. And no shrimp either. No shrimp for the Jews. It's more for us though. But anyways, um, there's dietary laws. And in the blanket are all these unclean animals. And he hears God say, Peter, eat the shrimp and eat the bacon. And Peter goes, I can't do it, Lord. No unclean thing has ever passed into my lips. I'm kosher to the core. And God says, what I have called clean, you do not call unclean. Two more times the bait comes down. Peter's like, what is going on? He, the vision breaks. And God says, I'm sending someone to talk to you. You talk to them. There's someone at the door. Knock, knock, knock. He goes downstairs. And the servant goes, hey, my master sent me here. He's been praying to God, and God said to come get you to tell him about the anointed Messiah. Peter's like, I guess I'm going up. So he goes across town, walks into the house of a non-Jewish family named Cornelius. Cornelius, this non-Jewish man who's been searching for God his whole life, he's praying, and God said, I'm going to send someone to tell you about Messiah. Cornelius is so pumped, he invites, it's not just him, his wife, and his kids, he invites his in-laws, his neighbors, and they're all there in this house waiting for Peter. Peter comes in, and they're like, we were told in a vision, you tell us about who Messiah is, so who's the Messiah? And Peter's like, it's Jesus. And everyone there turns in faith to Christ, the whole house full of people. And of course, they have a celebration, they, get, they bust out the food, they're going to eat the stuff. And Peter's like, uh-oh, I can't eat with these sinners. Then he remembers what God told him. What I have called clean, you do not call unclean. And Peter's like, all right, let's eat. And he eats with them. And it seems like a very, like, no big deal thing, right? But as soon as he gets back to church, there's a whole crew waiting for him. I guess gossip travels fast in Jerusalem. And they're like, we heard you ate with sinners. Peter stood against his culture. Peter did what was right, but he stood against his own culture's value. You know what it cost Peter? Dude, they came at him guns blazing. And this is no joke. Peter, the leader of the apostles, gets fired as pastor from that church. Peter got fired. How could that even happen? When you stand for the Lord, sometimes you become a target. It's tough. I, the reason I stinking denied knowing that kid, I was afraid of the crowd. I was afraid I was the nail sticking up and someone would pound me down like a hammer. And out of fear, I did not stand. Standing is scary. They, 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 rat, they rat him out. King, they have no regard for you. Verse 13, the Nebuchadnezzar, in rage and wrath. I like this guy a lot. They rat, he, he loses his cool so fast. What? They don't respect me? He's, he's, he is wild with rage. He says, bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego right here. And these men were brought before the king. As he's waiting, he calms down. You know, he's like, okay, all right, all right. They bring the guys. Verse 14. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to the three young Hebrew boys, 
Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you are not serving my gods and do not worship the golden image that I have set up? Now, if you're ready, at the time you hear the sound of the horn, flute, lyre, trigon, psaltery, bagpipe, and all kinds of music, then you shall fall down and worship the image that I have made. But if you do not worship, you will immediately be cast into the midst of a furnace of blazing fire. And what God is there who can save you out of my hands? The king calms down. He's like, maybe you misunderstood. I'm going to give you one more chance. The band's going to play. And when the band plays, if you kneel, all is forgiven. You keep your job. We're still buddies. All is well. But if you do not kneel in this moment, you die this day. And he adds a little cherry on top. And just so you know, there is no God in heaven or earth who can save you from my power. That's scary, dude. And those three, those three Hebrew kids, they, it's got to be horrific standing there because they're standing before the king and his throne. There's guards on both sides of them. All in this field are full of like, his political allies. And everyone has bowed to this thing. And they're standing there for the king. And the king is being nice to them. He's like, guys, 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 I'm your buddy. It's one more chance. You go ahead and bow all is well. And just so you know, no one can save you from me. I have all the power. Listen, when you stand, it can feel hopeless. It really, doing what's right can feel like a lose-lose scenario. It can feel like, man, it's easier to go with the flow. It's easier to keep my head down. If I stand up, if I stand for the Lord in this moment, it is going to cost me too much. The king's words might feel true. The king says, there's no God who can save you. They might be like, is there a God who can save us? Sometimes the obstacle feels bigger than our faith. There's a story in a book we read this year as a church. Uh, the book is called, The Gospel Comes the House Key. The Gospel Comes the House Key by Rosaria Butterfield. And in the book, she talks about the value, the beauty of being a loving neighbor. That's all the book's about, is loving your neighbors. It's awesome. In the book, a new neighbor moves in next door to her, and the neighbor's a weird dude. And every neighbor has a weird dude in their neighborhood, right? Um, <laughs> we're the weird dude in our neighborhood. Um, when I got COVID back in 2020, I was the first COVID, like, like the first COVID, maybe in the city, I was the first guy who had it. And uh, I used to go outside in the, and just lay on the front lawn and just like, I'm dying, I just lay there. And the neighbors were all just seeing this just big old me laying out in the grass, just dying, uh, like moaning. Uh, like people would walk like, across the street to go by our house for a long time. Um, so every neighbor has, has a weird guy. So this guy moves in. He's really weird. Everyone gossips, whispers about him. Oh, what is he this and what is he that? She decides, Lord, you have no accidents. 
our family's going to love this man. I'm going to love him to you, O oh Lord. They try to talk to him sometimes. They bring him like little apple pies. Nothing worked. Then they bought a new dog. And the new dog was real like rambunctious. And, and training a dog is hard. Like, if, you, if you have a dog, training a dog is difficult to do. My dog's not a good dog. It's a good dog to me, but I didn't train her well because I'm she's a spoiled dog. You know what I'm saying? She still jumps on people. <laughs> training a dog correctly is difficult to do. So they're out there trying to train the dog. The dog's not listening, and he comes out, and he loves dogs, and he helps them train their dog, and they become friends. Their dogs become fr- friends. Like, like the dogs become friends. The kids love him and his big old, he's got a big old, big old dog. I don't know what it's called. It was like a big old fluffy monster dog. And they all become friends. They walk their dogs together, and slowly God knits their hearts together. And then one day they wake up, look out the window, and there's all kinds of ATF and cops outside. Turns out this weird neighbor had a meth lab in his basement. He was a meth dealer. And everyone, the whole neighborhood comes out to watch the show. He is pulled out, you know, in his, in his stinking chonies and handcuffed. Goes to jail for everybody. And the whole neighborhood has just got, I knew he was weird. I knew he was bad. And now Rosaria Butterfield has a decision to make. Everyone knows that her family tried to befriend this guy. All she has to do is join them in the gossip train, condemn this guy, and the neighborhood will welcome her back open arms. Oh, I didn't know. He's a meth head. I, that piece of crap, you know. If I join them, I'm back in the circle. But if our family chooses to remain his friend, What's it going to mean for, will other kids play with our kids anymore? Will we be gossiped about? It, it, it feels so hopeless to stand against the crowds. And her, and her and her husband and her children, they decided as a family, God has called us this man, we're not giving up on him. They went to all his hearings. They wrote him letters in prison. And over the course of years, through letter writing and friendship, that man met the Lord through that family's friendship. It can feel hopeless to stand against the crowd. It can. But how do these three Hebrews respond in the midst of the hopelessness? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, We do not need to respond to you with an answer concerning this matter. He says to them, they say, we don't need your second chance. I mean, they're they're, they're saying kings can be nice. We don't need 24 hours. We don't need half an hour. We know where we stand. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to save us from the furnace of blazing fire, and he will save us out of your hand, O king. They contradict him to his face. If he wasn't mad before, holy cow. He had just said to them, no God can save you from my hand. He's like, "Uh, king, my God can save me from your hand. 
And here's the thing about standing up for, the, for what's right, standing up for the king. Standing with God, here's the deal. The reason, even though it may feel hopeless, and even though we might feel like a target's on our back, we know if we stand with the Lord, our God is able. Our God is able. So he says, we know our God whom we serve is able to save us from the furnace of blazing fire. We don't know how, we don't know when, but he can save. This gives us courage to stand against the crowd. This gives us courage to trust the Lord. On Monday night this week, I got a very troubling phone call. My mom called me. I called her back. And she was... My mom's on vacation in Florida. And she went to the room to check on her husband, my stepfather, and he was bleeding out of his mouth and his nose. She calls 911, ambulance comes and takes my stepfather. I get to the hospital, I put my mom in one of those um, consultation rooms. Those are bad rooms, right? That means we've got to talk to you because something's going wrong. Doctors come to talk to my mom, they tell her, listen, your husband, his brain is swelling, it's bleeding, we have to do emergency surgery to, to release the pressure on his head. It's not good. You need to call his family. You need to come. Me and the brothers didn't sleep well that night. I wanted to go to my mom immediately. I wanted to fly to Florida and just be there with my mom. But she told me to wait. She said, Ernesto, I might need you more later. And so I didn't go. But every day we're just waiting. On Tuesday, they, 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 they stink in um stabilized them. The swelling stopped after the surgery, but they told my mom, once the swelling goes down, we'll see what happens, because when the brain swells, it can do things to the human body. Maybe, maybe, maybe you can't talk, maybe you can't smell, maybe you can't see, maybe you're not there anymore. My mom asked me once on the phone, said, what if he's a vegetable? Said, mom, we don't know nothing, don't go down the road yet. When mom called on Monday, I was very full of a lot of emotions and sadness. And so me and my wife and kids all sat down on the floor, and we huddled up like we do, and we prayed. Um, when, whenever something happens that's real bad, we stop what we're doing. We pause the TV, and we sit, and we call in the name of the Lord right then. And we asked God, very specifically, we said, Lord, I said, Lord, give my stepfather more life. That was my prayer. Lord, my mom's telling me it's pretty hopeless and pretty bad. But God, you are able, and so we ask you to intervene. The last week's been very difficult, been very emotionally heavy. Um, and every day, the doctors are giving us no, they're telling us nothing because they don't want to get our hopes up. You know how doctors are. They don't, wanna, they don't tell you things a lot of the time. My mom called me, and she's like, mijo, he's awake. I'm like, what does that mean, he's awake? Does he know who you are? Is he talking? She's like, mijo, he's up, and he's yelling, and he's mad. I'm like, he's back. <laughs> you know? like, I'm like, it's him. She's like, it's him. And we praise the Lord that it was, he, is, he is, not only is he alive, not only is his brain okay, but he's still him. 
Our God is able to do these kind of miracles. I thought I was going to find a Florida to... But God gave my stepfather more life. Our God can save. Our God can come down. What does it say in the Bible? It says, with God, nothing is impossible. With God, all things are possible. It's why we can pray crazy prayers. We're allowed to pray against every doctor's prognosis. We are allowed to pray at God for insane things. Because our God is able. We can choose to stand with the Lord because we know the God we serve is greater than any king. Our God is greater than the king's armies. Our God is greater than his soldiers. Our God is greater than his ego. Our God is greater. It reminds me of when Jesus faced Pontius Pilate and Pilate tells Jesus, why won't you answer me? Don't you know I have the power to kill you, set you free? And Jesus, says, Jesus chained up Beat up, says to Pilate, you have no authority over me except that what my father has given you. I'm not afraid of you, Pilate. Even though you're beating me up, I know who's driving the car, my father, God Almighty. We don't have to be afraid because our God is able. Here's I love this last verse. These three Hebrews are not done talking yet. They say this, but if not, our God is able, but if he doesn't save us, if you throw us in the fire and we die a horrific death, even then, let it be known to you, O king, that we are not going to serve your gods and we will not worship the golden image that you have set up. Listen to that faith. God is able, but even if he doesn't, we will not bow. Listen, if you stand, you'll become a target. If you stand, it may feel hopeless. We can stand knowing that God is able, but here's the deal. We must stand regardless of the cost. Sometimes, listen, the Apostle Peter, or the Apostle Paul, Paul, it says of him once, it says that he prayed three times for God to remove a thorn from his flesh. Who had more faith than Paul? Paul loved the Lord. He begged God, there's this thing in my life. I need you, Father, to take it from me. Three times he asked. And you know what God said to Paul? God told Paul, my grace is sufficient for thee, and my strength is made perfect in your weakness. I ain't taking it from you. That wound you have, Paul, you're going to carry it till the day you die. It's going to keep you humble. It's going to keep you weak. I'm going to use it to make you the man I want you to be. Sometimes the healing don't come. Sometimes we go into the fire. Our God is able to save, but he doesn't always come down and save in the way we want. When me and Angie were, before the kids were born, we were missionaries in India for a few years. It was my intention to die in India. There's a story about a guy named David Livingston, and Livingston 
when he died, uh, the Britain came to get his body. The British came to bring Livingston home. They show up, they're like, we've come for Dr. Livingston. And his, his people, his disciples go, hold on. They go in the tent. They're there for like 20 minutes. They come out, okay, he's ready. And they go in there, and they did a surgery on his dead body. They're like, what did you do to Dr. Livingston? And the African said, you may have his body, but his heart belongs to Africa. They cut his heart out and kept it and buried it there in Africa. I thought I was going to be like David Livingston. Um, I'm going to die in Africa, or, and I'm, or I'm going to die in India, and they're going to cut my heart out and bury it in India. It would be awesome. <laughs> we have weird dreams when you're Christians. I don't know. But we got kicked out of India. We got, we, got, we, got, we got deported from India. And so for years, my wife and I would fill out these applications to get our, our visa reinstated. I'd always send an application. They'd deny it. I'd reapply. They'd deny it. Time passes. Year, year and a half passes. We get pregnant with Lena. And she tells me one day, she goes, Ernesto, if India calls when I'm in labor, don't tell me they called. I'm, okay, okay. And sure enough, she's in labor, okay, with the kid. And if you've ever been through this, it's a very traumatic experience. She's in labor. The phone is, I look, and it's India Consulate. I'm like, I'm going to take this baby. I'll be right back. So I walk outside. Hello? They're like, hey, Mr. Alanis. Like, this is Mr. Alanis. We're calling to tell you your application for your visa has been put on hold. I'm like, what does that mean? And they're quiet. They're like, well, they said, you've not been accepted. You've not been rejected. Your paperwork is put in a drawer. It's on hold. Like, what does that mean? And they said, it means you can't apply anymore. They parked me. Like, you cannot, like, we are putting you in a bureaucratic nightmare from which you will never return. That was the end of India for us. We begged God to open that door for us. Someone told us at a Bible study weeks earlier, they said, I had a vision of a, um, a worker and then it, we had a vision of a consul worker stamping your visa approved. We believed God was going to give us India back. And guess what? The door closed. Sometimes the door closes. As followers of Christ, we don't stand because we're guaranteed to be the victors. We stand with the Lord, we obey the Lord, we serve the Lord, not for what we can get, but because we know who has called us, and we trust him. And that's got to be enough. I know in whom I have believed. I trust the Lord. Regardless of what happens next, I'm going to stand with him. So we as believers in Christ, standing is tough. When the whole world bows, the temptation is to join them and bow. If I don't bow, someone's going to shoot me, dude. If I don't bow, I'm going to feel alone and hopeless. But here's the deal. If God calls you to stand, if God's word is clear, then you stand with the Lord. I'll read it one last time for us to have in our hearts as we leave. If it be so, 
Our God, whom we serve, is able to save us from the furnace of blazing fire, and he will save us out of your hand, O king. But if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we are not going to serve your gods, and we will not worship the golden image that you have set up. Our God is able. But even if he don't, I'm not going with you. Let's go with Christ, regardless of the cost. With that said, let us pray. Father in heaven, standing with you is difficult because you're not anybody's team. You call us to be on your team or not, that's it. Help us submit, help us obey, help us to follow, help us to listen. And when the fire gets hot, when our culture demands us to bow down to its idols, give us the strength to not follow them into that darkness. We trust you. We love you. We believe in you. In Christ's name we ask all these things.